circle on stage before moving on to their main target, the person leaving. And so the the only person who I thought was mean enough when she roasted me, uh, she said something along the lines of, everyone here knows Nick Hyde. What they might not know is that he's incapable of keeping any pussy around for longer than six weeks. Uh, <laughs> except for his geriatric cat, who would leave if he could remember what a door is. <laughs> That's pretty good. This is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And when not participating in this podcast, yeah, I just go into public where people can be mean to me. Uh, I don't know why. I guess I guess anytime you're going in public, you're you're subjecting yourself to other people's meanness, though. So this is true. Yeah, what are you gonna this do about is what that? We do it for. Yeah, but you know, we're usually. Uh, I was gonna say we're usually not mean to each other on the show. That's not true. That's that's a pretty common theme. But we're not as mean as we used to be. No, no, I, no. I used to go. I used to think that what this show needed was a real uh, conflicty vibe, just lots of uh, tension. And, you know, like, uh, you know, how far are these two people going to push each other? And now I'm like, that's that's not that just gives people anxiety. I think our audience just wants to listen to two dudes being buds. So I apologize for the artificially inflated level of conflict I ingested into early episodes. But it's fine because you shouldn't listen to those anyway. So, yeah, instead, you should just be listening from this episode on Never Look to the Past, uh, where we (laughs) discuss not not our feelings toward well i was going to say again that's not true we do discuss our feelings towards each other but it's all based on the premise that we watch the television series the big bang theory we discuss the episode uh we discuss what we like usually what we don't like about it and then we move on to other things that we think are more enjoyable uh to just get right into it this week's episode was uh from season six episode 16 the tangible affection proof and Guess what, folks? We got ourselves a Valentine's Day episode. As the editor, I could actually just put Airhorn Norses here and send it. It's going to go. So uh, it's fine. I don't know. That's my first impression. Kyle, how do you feel? <laughs> any any strong thoughts on today's episode? Uh, no. Strong thoughts? Definitely not. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's just let's just pick. Like, I'll jump right through it, and then we'll see what what blood we can get from this stone. So, for now, uh, as I said, it is Valentine's Day, and the episode front loads with Leonard being pretty excited about uh, having Valentine's Day with Penny, and Penny being like, you know, it's just inevitable disappointment. It's gonna stink, I just know it, and if it's not gonna stink on its own, I'm gonna make it stink. So, Leonard's already a little like, alright, let's see how it goes. Meanwhile, uh, Amy... Uh, is meeting with Sheldon on the way to his apartment with you know, with Leonard and uh, is just mentioning how excited she is for Valentine's Day and Sheldon feels unprepared for it. So I can't remember what was the last episode we watched or the one before that where Sheldon and Penny are secretly aligned in their, their fear of commitment, but it's happening again. So I'm going to say that was the last episode. Okay, yeah. It's, uh, Which I, just, I mean, it's... I think we agreed that episode was, I'm just going to say now, this episode more satisfying than that episode, but it's not saying necessarily a lot. Well, I think you're right, but also I think because the expectations are lower, like this episode, even though it's a Valentine's Day episode, doesn't get too heavy uh, with the stakes in any of the couple's relationship in this episode. Uh, And so I think that is nice. At the same time, 
what I really liked about the last episode was how uh, these they were having the couples these like passive aggressive confrontations, you know, openly sharing their feelings, but not in a way the other person was was getting. But you know, the person across the hall is, and you know, it didn't really pay off, even though it brought up these huge things. And now it's kind of like, well, it's not as well handled. I don't think the relationship drama, but also you know, they're they're oh they're never over invested, so there's not much to get upset about. Uh, um, that said. Raj has apparently escaped Wallowitz's house. He's safe. Uh, and he's hanging out at the comic book shop where Stuart is saying that his only real plans for uh, Valentine's Day are to put away any sharp objects so he can survive the night. Uh, so some, some fun gallows humor there for everybody. Uh, Raj was going to spend the evening with his, his number one sweetheart, his, his dog, which she's sick. And so he and Stuart decide they're going to have a singles party for all the lonely nerds at the comic book shop. Uh, that is just put put a button on that until the very end of the episode. Uh, meanwhile, Sheldon um, lazily recruits his intern Alex to get a Valentine's Day gift for Amy in um, a transaction that inevitably ultimately goes nowhere. It's it seems like there's tension initially because Alex was really excited to be involved in Sheldon's work all of a sudden, and then is crestfallen to learn that she's just going to be running personal errands for him. There's no payoff to that. There's no, there's nothing where either she is more shattered because Sheldon um, is so indifferent to her and her contributions, nor is there a turn where like she actually gets something she wants out of it. Yeah, that's it. It's one note. Um, but she goes and does get three samples of gifts. Uh, she gets uh, a map of the destination the party took through the Canterbury Tales. Uh, she also gets, oh, a, a music box in the shape of a harp that plays one of Amy's favorite songs. And she gets a hand drawing of, I think, like some sort of neuron or some sort of other brain cell by a ye old brilliant scientist, which Sheldon decides he'd just rather keep for himself. And so Amy never learns about that. Again, this pays off in no way. Uh, and that is because the conclusion to their relationship drama is Amy says, hey, Sheldon, I'm, I canceled our plans. We were going to have dinner together. We were going to go out. But I, the most uh, cherished, dutiful girlfriend ever, realized that you just want to eat pizza and watch TV together on the couch. So that's what we're doing. And Sheldon, 100% off the hook with not having this gift ready for her now. He's just completely gets away with it. The, the gift he does give which, I don't know, is maybe genuinely sentimental, but again, seems like kind of an easy out for him. Is he gives her um, a sheet of paper from the university showing that he has now listed Amy as his emergency contact, uh, and she she is overwhelmed with emotion at this. Um, excuse me. Only the stinger is then that uh, she's trying to get work in the lab done and Sheldon won't leave her off the goddamn phone. Um, so that's that plot resolved out of order. Let's uh, cut back to the main plot, I guess, which is uh, Penny and Leonard. And they're kind of building up for their date. It's not really going anywhere. It's not a big deal. Leonard uh, keeps saying that he's a romance ninja and it's really irritating. Oh, and Wallowitz also prepares a very heartfelt felt microscopic gift uh, for his molecular biologist girlfriend uh, and then breaks it. Uh, so she never actually gets to see the fruit of his efforts. Again, it goes nowhere. Instead, uh, he and... Bernie end up having dinner together with Leonard and Penny. 
uh, and the Bernie and Wallowitz couple are fighting because Wallowitz plays too many video games. And you know what? They get over it by the time his dinner dinner's over because they can't believe how dysfunctional uh, Penny and Leonard are. Because wouldn't you know it, Penny sees an ex-boyfriend and he's having a happy night with his new girlfriend and he engages, to, uh, and uh, it gets engaged to her. And uh, Sheldon, uh, I'm mean, not Sheldon, uh, Leonard gets really annoyed, upset as he sees that Penny is not only jealous of the ex-boyfriend and his girlfriend situation, but doesn't seem sufficiently satisfied with their relationship. And you know what? I feel like I'm losing my mind with how often I'm saying this. It also goes nowhere. They end up making up very easily and then having cool Valentine's Day sex without really learning anything about each other other than the uh, the reiterated uh, fear of commitment. Uh, God, this episode is a mess now that I'm describing all of it. Last bit of the episode... The singles party at the comic shop happens. Uh, it is a very nice gesture, but everyone is still painfully aware of how lonely they are. <laughs> They're trying to commiserate to no effect. And then out of nowhere... Uh, wait, no, yeah, uh, Raj decides to give a speech to everyone. Like, hey, you know, we can't define ourselves by our relationship status. That's not where our worth comes from. I look out here and I see a whole bunch of lovely people. And this is a great Valentine's Day. Then Kate Micucci comes up out of nowhere and is like, hey, that was a nice speech. And Raj is like, let's get out of here, baby. See you later, losers. Bop, bop, another air horn. And uh, yeah, that's all of it wrapped up. And so a whole bunch of kind of insignificant confrontations that all resolve in a more or less cute way. Like every relationship problem is fixed. Everyone's happy. Everyone's making out. Like even Raj is, you know, going on a date. So I don't know. Am I un am I unhappy because everyone else is happy, Kyle? What's I I don't know how to feel. Oh yeah, that's got to be it. <sighs> it's just something that bothered me. This is super nitpicky, and maybe this is because, again, that I feel kind of so so about the episode. Is Wallowitz's gift that he gets for Bernadette is. Well, the one that he ends up breaking up is, so, uh, he's, he has this line about how he has to do something really nice and romantic for, uh, Bernie, because she's been such a pain in the ass lately, the old ball and chain, can you believe it? And he's saying this when he's in his lab with Leonard, um, but then he reveals that the gift he's getting her is he says, uh, he has used some sort of, like, laser microscope to engrave... Uh, their the, the the couple's initials uh, in something that is like a thousandth the size of a grain of sand, uh, and yes, then he immediately breaks it. He explains that it took him twelve hours to do, but he never describes what it actually is or what it's on. I listened. I went back over the dialogue for that scene three different times to see if Wallowitz ever actually explained what medium or thing it was he was giving. To, to Bernadette, and I think it was nothing. I no, think... it was. I thought it was. Well, you listened to it, I guess. I mean, so what am I not under? Because my understanding was that he had carved their initials into like the wall of a cell, so that if you looked at the cell under the microscope, like you would see that their initials like existed. Like, like if you're imagining looking at a cell under a microscope, you would see like W plus B. And maybe so a th- little heart around it under the microscope. I think I misunderstood and didn't hear that he had the actual cell in there. And so what you're saying is that he, atten- he essentially tattooed a single cell for Bernadette. Is that 
Do you think that's yes. fair to say? Well, I mean, burned it with a laser, so more like a brand, but yes. Which, um, by the way, like, you know, working as a lawyer, uh, I, I already am a scraggly looking fellow, but uh, not nearly as punk rock as I often want to be. And after watching some really trashy American horror story, which I am also going to go on record as saying uh, is not good. <laughs> I can't recommend that show anymore. If anyone watched it based on my recommendation, like take it back. It's trash. Um, but they had uh, an episode of a young, sexy Richard Ramirez doing his thing. And he had, he had his prominent, um, I want to say swastika, but that is not it. The pentagram as the other big evil symbol that people do on his palm that he carved into it, and I was like, it'd be pretty sick to have, like, a pentagram burned into my hand. Um, but then also I feel like I would be in a much less, I don't know, trustworthy position to give advice about, like, divorces and contracts and stuff like that. Unless someone sees that pentagram and they're like, well, I mean, he knows how to make a deal with the devil, so I can trust him with, you know, this this simple business issue. Maybe I can have that going for me. I don't know. Yeah. Kyle, you have anything? That all makes sense. Uh, I thought that... I don't know that this is that helpful, but I thought that the, um, the way that they were... So first off, and we I think we talked about this in the... So Sheldon's treatment of, uh, of uh, his assistant is slowly, like, transitioning for me personally from, like funny to uncomfortable and i don't know exactly what to do with that information it was like, this episode i was like i don't know if this is illegal but it seems worth an hr complaint again yeah <laughs> it's just like he keeps just belittling her in ways that, that you know siding with assistants everywhere feel pretty shitty um but whatever uh the next thing that i thought that is slightly um more interesting is yeah i think they just wanted to let uh, Sheldon off the hook on this one because they wanted him to do his jerk ass thing, but then they want. I mean, I'm just saying I interpreted the the gift of the emergency contract differently because I think what they were going for was like we just can't have him. Like they're all constantly these days trying to make Sheldon seem softer and more relatable. He's gone from being like the annoying borderline antagonist to like the whoopy mascot of the show. And so, like, they tiptoe up to the edge of him being a jerk. But if the actual entire episode had just been ended with him uh, giving her something that his assistant had gotten, um, or even the fight where he, you know, hoarded, admitted to hoarding the thing that he liked more, it would have made him too much of a jerk. So he, particularly when Amy makes what I thought was the very touching, uh, if slightly creepy and uh, codependent gesture of saying no we don't have to do anything i want for valentine's day all that matters is what you want um but we'll just set that aside uh but uh so i took the gesture of the of the emergency contact change to be like oh he did think about it and he did come to the conclusion that this would be a thoughtful present and she seems to agree with that well i mean she agrees with it um, in the absence of the other options that did all seem like, here's the thing, this, this intern Alex that had to go on this gift shopping journey, uh, she did her research. She did a great job. She was like, Amy loves this song. And so I found not only a music box that plays this song, but plays it, uh, as harp music, the instrument she plays, and it's in the shape of a harp. 
And yeah, like I mentioned at the beginning, Sheldon's like, well, she can play her own heart music. I don't understand the function of this. Blah, 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 Sheldon, blah, blah. And then she's like, okay, well, you know, uh, she loves a Canterbury tale. So look, hand-drawn map of, like, their whole journey. She'd really love this. And he's again like, she has Google Maps. Why does she need a paper map? Again, I'm sure. Well, and so the third gift. Yeah, he's very annoying. It's true. Well, but again, and then third gift, uh, the one that seems uh, the most precious, this this rare hand-drawn cell from a, a biologist that Alex knows Amy would, like appreciates and respects and would be thrilled to get. And Sheldon says, uh, no, that's cool. That's mine. Not even because he's particularly interested in that field. He's just like, oh, that is really cool. I want that. Amy has no awareness any of this happened. And so when you're saying, like, if Sheldon were to do these things, he would be a jerk. Sheldon did those things and is a jerk. (laughs) No, I think that's true. But, you know, it's one of those out of sight, out of mind things, which is if Sheldon isn't called out for his behavior, then it doesn't really count. Well, that's what bothers me, though. He gets a free pass. I agree with that. I'm just saying that seems to be how the show is treating it. Yeah, well, it's, you know... I want to say that I'm happier that each of the little plot, uh, the, the little couple squabbles ended happily enough because I am just overall more satisfied that everything ended on a positive note than a contrived conflict. But I guess what I'd like more is a conflict that isn't contrived and is satisfying in its own way, but we can't have that anymore. Um, also, I uh, was sad that Leonard didn't in any way use his romance ninja skills in trying to fight Penny's ex-boyfriend, who... In, yeah, also that would, have, that would have been a much more interesting episode, which is like, hey, what if our Valentine's Day, what if the thing that really brings us together is ruining someone else's Valentine's Day, and possibly their whole relationship? And, you know, I was going to say that like, Penny is so upset with the ex-boyfriend, even though, like... He seems perfectly pleasant and nice and nothing bad has happened between them. And then I remembered, oh, no, he's there with Penny's ex-friend who he cheated on her with. And so, yeah, I guess that's that's what would be initially frustrated. But, yeah, Leonard seems bummed out that, uh, well, not seems, is bummed out that, that that is her focus while he's just trying to... He's just trying to be a little sweetheart. I still find him the most irritating character, but he is trying his best at least. Anything else about this episode, Kyle? I know we haven't gotten much into it, but like... Uh, no, there is there is something else. It's not important. It's just a sign None of, of this is important, Kyle. I, I was, yeah, just a sign of how little attention I was actually playing to any of the stakes in the episode. I don't think I've ever noticed this before, so I don't know if it was there or if they added it or if I just... Whatever. But in, uh, in Stuart's shop... There's a there's a shot of an angle where you see that he has you see all the comic books and then there's like a there's like a beaded curtain and behind the beaded curtain there is a sign that says no one under the age of 18 passed this point which leads huh. me to the con- you can go back and look leads me no, to I believe the conclusion you. that Stuart has either begun or has always been selling pornography out of the back of his comic book shop. Well, here's something that 
uh, I know about my limited experience myself working in a comic book oh, shop. You're going to ruin this for me. No, I'm not going to. I, I think I'm going to support exactly what you're saying is that I never ran the place. But again, my experience with the, the local shop was that if it were exclusively a comic book shop, it would have failed before someone filled out the business loan application. Instead, uh, the comic books are the labor of love and all the real money was in magic cards. Right. And so that, I remember you telling me this. And yeah. in some places it's like their overhead is like the expensive miniatures that they trade and sell and which, stuff which, like that. Which we also sold, yes. We had a whole Warhammer crew who milk them as much as we could. Nothing wrong with it, but that was the business model. And so when you're saying that Stuart seems to have an adults-only section, I, I'm not sure if it was always there or if it's a sign that Stuart's like, well, I guess it's time to appeal to baser natures. It's, I want to have a clean family shop, but I can charge double for people that whack off in here and everything's wrapped in plastic anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, if there's any, if there's actually any synergy in the world, it may, like, I don't think I've ever been to a uh, comic book store that sold some kind of pornography out of the back. But if you told me that it did, I would be like, well, yes, that makes sense. Why, why wouldn't there be? Well, it's... The, the the horny world of drawn art is such a diverse cornucopia that, yeah, it seems impossible for it to not just be something that any, you know, local comic book shop would sell. Because otherwise, I don't know, I guess you're just having to direct order it on the internet or go to the pervert store. Like, I don't know where you where you get, like, your... Is it Dojin? Is that the, the, the horny manga... We don't have to get into the etymology or reveal how much either of us knows about this topic, Nick. All right. Just say that- also, I, I, so I did just dip my toe, and I want to see. I met another anime fan in the wild yesterday. We didn't even talk much about it. He's like, I'm watching this. And I'm like, I'm watching this. And for the rest of the night, I was like, fucking what a good interaction that was. <laughs> that was. I, just, I was at a party last night, and there was a lady who was just like, you know, she, she was. She just got so excited to talk about like Full Metal Alchemist and Yu Yu Hakusho, and I was like, "Yes, I found my people." Yeah, I felt blessed. I was like, every time I want to talk about anime, there's this internal battle of I know better, but will this be the time that I can connect with somebody on this really kind of bizarre thing I enjoy? And to meet someone else who uh, is like, hey, I'm so-and-so. I like anime. I'm like, brother, that's we, you don't know this, but we have just formed an irreversible bond. I'm, I'm Every time I see you, you are my anime friend. I, I hope you don't have other interests you'd prefer to talk about because you, you are now the conduit for my real-life anime uh, needs. So, yeah, that was nice. Um, so, are we talking more about horny books? <laughs> No, that, I think we've we've talked about horny books enough. I think we're just going to go forward with the assumption that Stuart supplements his income selling imported Japanese erotic comics uh, out of the back of his shop because that just seems like it makes sense. Yeah, it's also uh, I'm remembering. Also, how did you feel? You just sort of glossed over it, but how did you? Oh well, no, finish what you're saying, and then we'll. No, you go ahead. I was I was going to move on to a, a different stupid thing, but yeah. I, I was going to ask, how did you feel about the cameo? I don't. I assume she'll be in future episodes, but who knows? Of uh, Kate, however you say her last name, Mikuchi. Yeah. Did you 
were you fine with that? Usually when like new recognizable actors or people show up on the show, you're always like, either I love this person or most of the time you're like, ah, I hate this person. This show never needs to have new well, people I, ever. But I maintain there is a, a firm yet flexible principle I maintain here where it's, I don't hate any person that is a, a guest. What I hate are when they have wannabe celebrities that don't know how to act in front of the camera. And I know that, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson is a uh, a factual celebrity. Uh, at the same time, oh, God, he just he wants it so bad, and he's so awkward, and he sucks every time he's on screen. So that shit I hate. Kate Micucci, professional comedian, welcome to have on the show. Uh, if anything, I feel a little disappointed that she was so normal and her appearance was so brief, because I know that she's very funny, and I wish they would have let her do more. So I was happy to see her, um, but felt she was underutilized. Okay. Checks out. Yeah. Um, I'm sure at some point she will sing, she will play the ukulele and sing on this show if it's like every other show she's ever been on. But you never know for sure. Yeah. Also, I feel weird because, like, uh, there's this movie. I think it's called The Little Hours that she, Aubrey Plaza, and Alison Brie are all in. Which, God, I think itself might... I thought I read on Wikipedia that it's even based off the Decameron. And I was like, I guess. I don't. I watched it. Is that and... the one where they're nuns? Yes. I, I had never watched it either, but I was like, the Decameron? That's all, like, nuns and stuff. And I was like, oh, wait, she was in that movie where she was, like, a horny nun. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, thinking about it now, it's it's really similar to the Canterbury Tales in which it's just a bunch of stories about characters. And so thinking back on it, I guess it's it lacks the framing device of the Decameron, which is a bunch of rich people are like, ah, fucking the city with all its plague? Gross. Let's go to the countryside and tell each other stories. I think this is one of the stories about uh, a young, handsome man coming in and having to pretend to be uh, mute because he can't interact with the nuns who are all, in fact, quite horny. Um, that's kind of generally what the movie's about. This is a long-winded way of saying, uh, it's weird that I've now seen Kate Micucci running around manic and naked and, and screaming, and then she shows up in a little uh, cameo for The Big Bang Theory, and I'm like, I like you, but I know you're capable of so much more. <laughs> so, Yeah. Also, the little hours, uh, fine, I'd say. I don't know. If you like all of those people in it enough that you want to watch all of their work, please go ahead. I thought it was kind of dry. So, anyway. All right. There's my anti-recommendation before we even get to our nerdy things. All right. Let's get to our nerdy things. You can go first. Okay. So, after a milk toast episode where everything kind of just goes fine for everybody... <laughs> Gonna talk about things we actually enjoy, and I am um, I'm at a crossroads here because hey everybody, Bayonetta one came out I don't know, like fifteen years ago. Bayonetta two, eight years ago on the uh the Wii U, the, the console that nobody had except for me, when I got it only so I could play Bayonetta two. <laughs> and then um Bayonetta three came out yesterday, eight years after Bayonetta two. And Kyle, I think it's too early for me to make a solid recommendation for it. I'm actually kind of worried that I don't like it as much as either of the other two. I've got a lot of signs that are indicating it's... 
I don't dislike it, but I feel like it's the wackest of them so far. But that said, I have yet... It's too early for me to make a final conclusion. And Kyle, instead of a, a nerdy thing of the week, I offer you a quest. Oh, no. Kyle. Yes? How would you like to be the owner of your very own physical copy of Bayonetta 3? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I will play some... I will uh, trade on some uh, sexy Bayonetta stuff. Well, you need only go on a simple errand, because let me tell you this, Kyle. Yesterday when the... Well, you know, I guess it technically came out late Thursday night. But yesterday morning is when I purchased it online, knowing that it would take some time to download. I could come home after work, have it ready, plug in, feel good. Later that day, yesterday, I got... Uh, an Amazon notification letting me know that the pre-order of Bayonetta 3 I ordered when it was first announced four years ago and apparently uh, (laughs) (laughs) never bothered canceling has shipped to my old address in Echo Park. And since I already own a digital copy, Kyle... If you want to go to my old my old LA address, there's oh, wow, a fresh a hot copy of Bayonetta just waiting there for you. Not only a copy Are of Bayonetta. Are you still in touch with any of those roommates, or is I'm like gonna try? Different? I think one of them still lives there at least. But yeah, uh, it's 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 going to my old address, and not only that, it is it is an order that had been sitting on hold for four years. I ordered that. With the firm belief that this game would never come out. <laughs> it's like, like just, I'm like, I just want to dream. I want to support it. And now it's come true. And I, I technically have two copies now. And you are welcome to that one. Also, what I would like to say is whether or not I end up really liking the game, I want to say that I'm honestly just happy to have another Bayonetta game. <laughs> like, this could be the worst of the bunch. And I'm still happy about that. I feel like. My criticism and my negativity are so open and forward uh, that my my appreciation and joy seem buried. And so, even though this kind of seems like a stinker, uh, well, not a stinker, but like just not as good as the other two, I am. I'm still fucking psyched to have it and play it. And then the last little thing, uh, hey, hey, Polygon, hey, <laughs> hey, you and your your goddamn fucking clickbait website, I have to stop going to. I hate to say it, but Bayonetta has never really been a quality, strong, powerful feminist icon. <laughs> she was drawn ass first by a bunch of horny old Japanese men, and we can put whatever beliefs we want on her, but the fact that she isn't doing everything that you want to make society better doesn't mean it's a bad game. I just, I finally read their review after I started playing the game, and I was like, oh, you're angry that plot didn't turn out how you expected, and character you didn't like got what he wanted. Oh, (laughs) sorry. I don't know. I guess be mad that at yourself for having such rigid expectations. So, there. Wah, wah, wah. (laughs) Kyle, would you like to actually recommend a thing? Uh, I am blanking this week. It is. That's how I feel. It's I. Like no, I feel, I feel bad because I feel like this is the one thing where when whenever we deliver milk toast everywhere else, people are like I just gotta hang on to hear them talk about their nerdy thing, and it will all be all right. And Kyle, like, some you know what? 
just go go to the bank. Do a re-recommend. Because you want to know what? I just didn't actually recommend Bayonetta 3 while still expressing anger at other people who don't appreciate it. Uh, so no recommendation there. And if I didn't do that, I was honestly just going to tell people to play Bloodborne again. So, like, <laughs> yeah. What's, what, what makes you feel cozy? How about it's... We're recording this right before Halloween. It's the weekend before Halloween. We're in the middle of spooky season slash cozy season. What what how do you, what makes you feel a, a good go back to game or media or just precious thing? All right, I've been thinking a lot lately about a game that I actually it's one of the few tabletop uh, role playing games I ever got you to play with me um, over the during the COVID months, which was I had a lot more luck getting people to play RPGs with me then, just because everybody was locked inside and desperate for human interaction, therefore up for almost anything. Uh, and that game was called Tales from the Loop. And I've I just remember. been thinking about, like, I would like to go back and play some more of that one of these days. Um, Tales from the Loop uh, is a game put out by, it doesn't matter. I don't, I think Free Edge Publishing, but uh, it's it had an interesting journey. So what happened was this, this photographer artist dude uh, who lives in, I think, Sweden or Norway or somewhere like that, came up with uh, this series of faked photographs slash drawings that were supposed to be from, like, his memories of growing up around this weird research station in the 80s in Sweden. And, of course, none of these, none of these were real, but it painted this, this uh, hypothetical parallel universe where in the 80s in Sweden, you know, they had had uh, experimental... Uh, particle accelerator based technology that had led to like wormholes and robots and stuff. And it was not, uh, again, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, I guess you'd call it retrofuturistic, but it wasn't like everywhere in the world suddenly had robots and airships. It was just like, if you lived in this one small town, you knew that the government was doing weird shit on that base. And you knew that some of the side effects of this weird shit are, were that occasionally you just see like a weird floating ship in the sky or like, you know, you'd find like a baby velociraptor in your yard or something like that. And so, uh, this guy created this like art book slash storybook out of that. And people really liked it. And so they adapted it, uh, into a role playing game, which is basically, you know, uh, a very similar vibe to like, uh, all of the things that like Stranger Things is ripping off, where you and your mm. friends are kids on bikes, uh, riding around in the small town uh, that has various mysteries that are related again to a secret government research base and the offshoot technology that is creating weird side effects in the town. Uh, the game is great i would just get it it's it's really simple to play it's really simple to dm and the main reason it's simple to dm uh is again because the rules are incredibly incredibly simple like it's basically all checks are just pass fail are just a pass fail mechanic um and then uh, it's easy to dm because the it is one of the few books that i feel like the campaign that it provides in the core book is so good that you could really just run that um, so like the book has all of the different characters that you can play and some supplemental stuff. But if you flip to the back, it's just like the second half of the book. It's just like, and here's, here's four, uh, 
missions essentially here's four modules that you can run back to back that together tell an overall campaign story and once you run through that people have pretty much gotten a pretty good uh sense of the game and it's great it's incredibly well written it you know um and it's cool art cool game yeah uh it's a little late to play for halloween now but you know it could be a fun uh fun thing to set up for next year or maybe it's evergreen you know so uh, I, I think so. I, I don't think it's so spooky central that it's limited to Halloween times. It's, it's no, gotta... it's definitely it's definitely not a Halloween themed game. At a, I just meant that you could probably do a pretty fun Halloween themed episode of uh, uh, game mission, yeah, whatever for Tales from the Loop. But by the time you're hearing this, that will have passed for this year. But maybe next year, the end. Instead, you'll have to settle for some sort of story about. You know, everyone coming together to to wipe out uh, a, a, a generation and ge- more generations of people uh, native to the place you're going to hang out at, um, using sort of found unclear sci-fi technology. <sighs> Halloween, for being the spookiest holiday, I think is also one of the least hateful. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray for that, at least. <sighs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to finish the new Halloween movie in preference for uh, uh, in preparation for this episode, so I could tell you whether I recommended it. And you know, I'm like 20 minutes from the end of it, but I didn't finish it. So, and it's I... it's all it's gonna live or die by the last 20 minutes too. I can already tell. It's like I'm really on the fence about it. And it's all going to have to do with how they wrap it up. I was prepared to totally pass on it, uh, having heard it was terrible. And then I started watching the Red Letter Media review of it, who seems pretty uh, excited about it. I don't think they necessarily were saying it's a great movie, but they had a lot of fun with it. And so I, I put that on hold, and I'm going to go out of my way to watch it myself soon. So we can we can check back in. Hey, everybody, I guess we're still recording. Listen in next week. When Kyle and I come back with actual recommendations for you instead of things we've partially completed and don't have concrete feelings about. You know, I think it's great. I mean, what I've watched so far, I I think is definitely interesting. It's just I'm not sure it's going to be able to stick the landing. Yeah, yeah. And also I can see why people who like Halloween are mad because it is like like many. It has a real... last jedi vibe about it which is like we're honoring this franchise but also we're like we're kind of giving a middle finger to the people who who want this franchise to exist in a status quo forever that i appreciate because i have not seen many of the halloween movies i kind of of the 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 big uh, I don't know, AAA horror franchises. Halloween is the one I care the least about. I've just, it's just never been my thing. I don't hate it, uh, but it's, it's never grabbed me. But I did watch Halloween Kills, and it's bad. Bad not in a way that's fun. I think everyone I know agrees that there's one scene where Michael Myers uh, fucks up an entire fire department that stands out as a highlight but yeah, the problem is that scene is in like the first 15 minutes of the movie yeah it's uh well and uh you know what you're saying about kind of casting off that that rigid devotion to the narrative that's already been established or whatever or like or you know expecting that narrative to repeat itself 
yeah, that's, that's how Halloween Kills was doing. It was, and it's uh, had this whole stupid mob rule, like kind of parallel monster thing that it's trying to do, and it fucking stunk. It's so anything to shake that up. I appreciate is what, I, what I'm saying. Having not even <laughs> seen this new one yet, if they do anything different, I'm gonna be happy. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see. So that's our. We'll watch it and then we'll loop back around and we'll talk about it. We'll have a post Halloween post Halloween referendum. Yeah. So uh, tune back in in two weeks so we can finish telling you how we feel about Halloween and Halloween just in time for Thanksgiving. Uh, thank you, Dorcos. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye-bye. <laughs>